Hey podcast friends! It's Kaylee. And Vanessa. And we are back with another episode of The Struggle is Real. Because we know the struggle to talk about mental health and be mentally healthy is real. Alright, so in our never-ending goal of becoming mentally healthy, we tend to think that we just have to do one big thing and all of our problems will be solved. Like buy that really pretty agenda that you keep looking at. Exactly. And like bought that agenda. <laughs> all your problems are going to be solved. It's going to be beautiful. But it's better to think about mental health as a puzzle. There's more than one piece that goes into it. Otherwise, it'd be kind of a bad puzzle. And some of these pieces we've talked about already. Yeah, and the important part is that we tend to kind of ignore some of these pieces and the role they play in our mental health because they're just super normal things that we do every day, mm -hmm. like sleeping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we take for granted that we sleep for eight hours a night and hey, that might have some effect on what we do during the day. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe, who knows? Who knows? Science is out. Just kidding, science is in. Hot up the press. Kind of a strange relationship with sleep. We really, really love sleep. We want to sleep more, but then we tend to do all these things that make us not sleep, like stay on our phones and go on Instagram to your ex-boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, best friends who might know Usher. Like, what are you doing down that dark hole? So what we bring to you today is we want to talk about sleep, which may not sound like the most exciting topic, but it's actually really important for our mental health, which means it's very exciting. Exactly. And what's cool about this whole sleep mental health thing is that the relationship definitely, beyond a shred of doubt, goes both ways. So our sleep affects our mental health and our mental health affects our sleep. You can see how this gets a bit messy. Oh my goodness, isn't that weird? It's like everything we talk about. Alright, so we'll probably stop rambling because clearly we don't have anything intelligent to say. So what we had to do is we had to bring on somebody who is actually intelligent to talk to us about sleep. Exactly. Luckily for us, we have lots of smart friends. The person we have on today is Jackie Huberman, a PhD student in clinical psychology here at Queen's and one of our dear friends. And she's going to be talking to us about sleep and mental health. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about how you know about sleep? Yeah, so I first started uh, getting exposed to sleep in the context of mental health. I saw a few clients where insomnia was a, a presenting concern that they had and was interacting with different aspects of their mental health. Um, and in doing that work, I read a book uh, by Dr. Judith Davidson called Sink Into Sleep, mm. uh, which reviews a therapy program that she developed and that's now got a lot of research behind it called uh, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. And that book is a really helpful step-by-step -step guide, and I found it really interesting and useful to work with with my clients. Um, and I've since integrated it here and there with other clients that I've had where sleep is, is a factor that's going on. And besides that, I'm, I myself have also struggled with sleep throughout my, my mm -hmm. life. Um, so I have an interest in it, and, mm -hmm. uh, and it's been a, a really rewarding area to work in clinically, too. Amazing. And you've also run a number of workshops now about sleep. I have run a few, yeah, through um, mainly through the Got Your Back program, which is an initiative um, that some clinical psychology students started last year. Um, so I've put on two workshops that have to do with them, um, kind of similar to some of the things we'll be talking about today, so how to start sleeping mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. And I know those are always really well attended because we know People don't sleep very well. Yes, it, it is. A, it's an interesting area because it can be really frustrating when you're having struggles there. It's a common area to have difficulties in. And in fact, there are some fairly straightforward ways that you can start improving your sleep, but people often aren't completely aware of that. So hopefully we'll help with some of that today.
Um, so I guess the biggest important question that we want to know is how does sleep actually interact with your mental health? Yeah, so that is a good question and it is important to be aware of. So a lot of people might be aware that sleep difficulties, insomnia, can be a symptom of certain mental health conditions. So in depression, it's common to have either oversleeping or difficulty falling asleep. Also with anxiety, it can certainly keep you up at night. Mm -hmm. And with both of those, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. So with depression, you often have a tendency to ruminate or kind of fixate on negative thoughts that can kind of cycle and, and take the mind of their own. Mm -hmm. uh, that could definitely keep you up at night. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And with anxiety, it's similar. So often there's a lot of worries that it can be difficult to control, difficult to stop, and mm -hmm. that can keep your mind up at night. And especially with anxiety, the kind of tension that can come with anxiety um, mm -hmm. so bodily tension that's actually physiological arousal which mm -hmm. is which is not conducive to the conditions our body needs to feel relaxed and to fall into a sleep so certainly when you're having a mental health difficulty mm -hmm. it can impact your sleep mm -hmm. uh, the thing that people sometimes aren't as aware of is that sleep difficulties on their own can also negatively impact can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah so uh, for one thing when we're not sleeping well that can be associated with low mood irritability um, increased anxiety symptoms. Some mm -hmm. of those might sound familiar, uh, but there's actually been research to show that among people who um, are having sleep difficulties, they're actually twice as likely to have a depressive episode in the coming years compared wow. to people who haven't or who aren't having those those same kind of insomnia or sleep difficulties. Wow. And in fact, um, a study showed uh, some years ago now that in a group of people who had both depression and insomnia, mm -hmm. when they administered cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, so for um, sleep difficulties specifically, it improved depression symptoms significantly and just as much as CBT for depression in particular. So we're wow. seeing that treating sleep can yeah. actually significantly improve mental health and that's really exciting actually because it means mm -hmm. that um, if you're having sleep difficulties as well as mental health difficulty, even focusing alone on the sleep, which sometimes can be a bit more accessible to people, mm -hmm. um, that can actually improve your mood as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty exciting area to work in because you can see those, those interactions with mental health. How long does a person have to be experiencing insomnia or poor sleep when we start to see these symptoms? Mm. Um, well, the study that I was referring to that showed that they had increased risk of developing a depressive episode, um, it was a meta-analysis, and on average it followed people for six years, I believe. Um, so it's not clear how immediate those kinds of effects are. It doesn't mean that if you're having a sleep difficulty now, you're going to become depressed next yeah. month. Yeah, um, so if you have one bad night of sleep, like, <laughs> yes. don't freak out. Definitely not, definitely not, and that's one thing that I want to make uh, very clear in talking about it today, that mm -hmm. there is a difference that we'll talk about between a, a bout of poor sleep mm -hmm. um, and having insomnia, where yeah. it's more persistent. And in these cases that I'm talking about, it is where that insomnia has been quite persistent, and okay. that, that might not be reflective of, of everyone that we're talking to mm -hmm. today, but that link between them is certainly there, yeah. and that might be still relevant to think about. Okay, great. And I'm sure lots of people are being like, oh, I don't sleep well, but I definitely don't have insomnia. Can you explain a little bit about like what exactly is insomnia? Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so it is common to have a bout of poor sleep. And one thing that I'll note is that even great sleepers typically will take up to about half an hour to fall asleep mm -hmm. and might make it wake up once or twice in the night. And mm -hmm. that's very common. That yeah. doesn't mean you're majorly struggling, even though it could be frustrating for you. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the time people have this expectation 
expectation that they should get into bed, fall asleep immediately when they hit the pillow, sleep constantly for eight <laughs> solid hours, and wake up feeling completely refreshed. Oh my god, these sound like some pretty high expectations. <laughs> sounds, yes, it sounds lovely, and that, that might be some people's experiences. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's impossible, but it's certainly not necessarily realistic for a lot of people. So common to have some struggles at times falling asleep, and in particular during, for example, stressful times, it's really common to have increased difficulties with sleep, Mm -hmm. and that makes sense. So sleep is a biological drive, just like hunger. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's important, it's very restorative for us, for our mind, for our bodies. But we also have a system that's been evolved so that we can actually override that sleep drive in Mm -hmm. times where we need to. Mm -hmm. So if you think about um, having an infant baby at home, we need to be able to... Wake um, up on a dime. Yeah, to wake up, to be actually sleep deprived for periods of time where this infant needs us Mm -hmm. to care for it. Or in times where we have stressors in our environment where we have to be more hypervigilant, it also makes sense that we can override that sleep drive. Mm -hmm. And that kind of generalizes a bit where... Um, nowadays in most people's day-to-days it might be school-related stress financial stress there could be other kinds of stressors that can still kind of when they're intense enough override that drive for sleep and Mm -hmm. typically those would be considered a bout of poor sleep where um, as the stress is at an elevated time the Mm -hmm. um your sleep might be more light or poorer or more limited. Mm -hmm. And as the stress itself subsides, typically the sleep kind of bounces back. And Mm -hmm. our sleep does have an ability to bounce back to Mm -hmm. kind of restore itself fairly quickly. And when we talk about insomnia, it's when those kinds of difficulties with sleep are actually persistent um, and are causing impairment in our functioning or our lives in some way. So when I say persistent, typically it's lasting about uh, at least about three months. There could be a more acute form that's less than that. But Mm -hmm. typically we're talking about difficulties that have lasted over three months And they could be of three general types. Mm -hmm. One is a trouble falling asleep. So when actually initiating that Mm -hmm. sleep. What's trouble falling asleep? Um, Well, like I said earlier, it is common for it to take up to about half an hour. Mm -hmm. So um, typically when it's becoming um, an issue for people, it could be somewhere beyond that. Yeah. um, And that would really, really vary. Yeah. Um, But it could be even a few hours that some people might experience. Or some people might even find it's it's more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can take, you know, an hour might even be impairing or, yeah. or frustrating as well. So yeah. it can really vary. Oh, I'm so tired. I slept be stressful because you might sit there like I know like I've had lots of sleep problems and as soon as I'm awake then I get stressed about not being able to sleep mm-hmm. and then I'm awake mm-hmm. and then that stress like you were yeah. saying like activates my body so that I'm just staying exactly. there and I'm not going to fall asleep exactly and what you just mentioned is another one of those links between mm-hmm. other kinds of aspects of mental health and sleep where when we're not sleeping if we now become quite anxious about that difficulty mm-hmm. sleeping which is very common to happen mm-hmm. um, with insomnia with sleep difficulties but that anxiety now is another factor keeping you awake yeah Um, yeah. and definitely what we'll talk about later is some of those habits that are within that anxiety are things like checking the clock a lot staying in bed Mm -hmm. even though you're not feeling tired and those kinds of things can kind of perpetuate some of the problems and Mm -hmm. can be areas to kind of hone in on to try and start improving things yeah and I think like I know probably more people do this is I'll check my phone and then I'll be like okay I have exactly seven hours and four minutes if I fall asleep right at this moment and then I'll keep doing that countdown until there's no numbers left yeah, to get up. exactly. And that's, it's, it's a common, <laughs> it's very common to happen, but it is one of those things that's keeping you awake. I know. That expectation that you could just say, 
okay, now just fall asleep right now yeah. so that I yeah. have those X number of hours yeah. um, can certainly be, be a problem because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily setting up conditions that are conducive to sleep. It's that anxiety kind of coming in. You're wanting to sleep, <laughs> but you're not, those conditions aren't necessarily set up for that. Yeah. Um, so besides trouble starting the sleep process, mm-hmm. the other two uh, forms of insomnia are uh, multiple uh, awakenings throughout the night, Mm -hmm. so not having trouble falling asleep, but then awaking up in the night Mm -hmm. uh, frequently and often having trouble falling back asleep when you do wake up in the night. And the last one is waking up too early. Mm -hmm. So falling asleep, staying asleep, but then waking up, let's say, at like 5 a.m. when you don't have to be up and and not being able to fall back asleep. So um, with insomnia, there is some impairment as well in the person's functioning. Okay. And what does that kind of look like? Um, so it could look like starting to have trouble at work or at school, finding that, you know, if we're talking to students primarily today, it could mean that your sleep difficulties are either causing significant anxiety even mm-hmm. throughout the day, that it's distracting or it's becoming, um, it's starting to interfere with, let's say, things socially or mm-hmm. things at school or things at home. Um, or it could be that it's having um, symptoms like difficulties with concentrating um, or struggle, struggling to um, study, for example. Okay. Or if you're finding you're falling asleep all throughout the day when you need to be going to class, yeah, um, that could be one way where it might interfere if your sleep is kind of offset a bit where you yeah. can never make it to that 8.30 class because of your sleep difficulties. Yeah. And are these people also people who might be having like three or four coffees and like they need the coffee to like get through their whole day? That could be part of it. Yeah. So that. Um, sometimes people who are having these kinds of struggles might decide to just cut out all caffeine altogether to Mm -hmm. hopefully help with that but oftentimes you do see that to compensate for the not sleeping energy drinks or caffeine all throughout Mm -hmm. the day including into the evening and as you can imagine that's another factor that's going to add to their difficulty sleeping in the next night yeah yeah because I wonder if a lot of people think the behaviors that you're describing or just like everyday things mm. and you're like yeah you're supposed to be tired all day through work you're supposed to have trouble concentrating mm-hmm. I don't have insomnia when in fact like they are having struggles yeah yeah that's true it may just be you know kind of seeming like that's just life and that's mm-hmm. what it has to be yeah. and um, there could be some ways to manage that differently so that your days and your nights could be a little bit better mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so I'm sure out there lots of people just have, like, myths about sleep. Yes, there definitely are. Sleep is a a big one uh, for people having all different kinds of ideas about the kind of sleep that they should be having, things that they should or shouldn't be doing to improve their sleep. Um, And there's a mix. Some of those are are kind of um, grounded in reality, some of them not so much. Um, One of the biggest sleep myths that I notice is this idea that we need to have X number of hours of sleep per night. Oh, I hear this all the time, and I fall into this trap all the time. Yeah. And what do you think that if you had to say the number of hours you think you need to have, it's it's what? Probably seven. Seven hours, eight and, hours, maybe. And if you're like high achieving, like four. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe some people don't need it exactly. But I do, usually people have in mind that they need seven hours or eight hours would be great. Something like that. Mm-hmm. That's the amount that everyone needs. Yeah. And that idea is kind of like asking someone, if I asked you, Vanessa, how much food do we need to eat in a day? All of it. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> but you probably wouldn't tell me, you know, three pounds. Yeah. Right? You wouldn't be able to say a set mm-hmm. number. You would say, well, I mean, it depends. It depends on the person, um, what your size is, what your metabolism's mm-hmm. like, how um, how active you are in general, how active you were that day, what you mm-hmm. did that day. 
what type of food, the quality of the food, the types of things you're eating. You wouldn't be able to tell me a certain quantity of food that mm -hmm. everyone just needs to eat. <laughs> um, that would be, yeah. That would it be does, boring. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and it's actually like that with sleep too. The number, the amount of uh, sleep that we need varies for one thing across the lifespan. Mm -hmm. um, think about how a baby needs a lot of sleep, mm -hmm. adults need less than that, and seniors uh, tend, to, um, tend to need even less sleep. Mm -hmm. As we age, we tend to need less. So it changes across our own lifetime, mm -hmm. and it definitely varies across different people. So there are some people who maybe actually with just seven hours, six hours, they do really well, they're rested throughout the day and that's mm -hmm. good for them. Other people might need a bit more. So it really is about figuring out how much sleep you need mm -hmm. um, rather than kind of staying fixated on a set number of hours. Mm -hmm. And that's really important in trying to start improving sleep because, for example, if I have an idea in mind that I need eight hours of sleep because that's what people need, mm -hmm. but really for me, maybe six hours is actually all I need to yeah. function well, to be rested, to be all good, yeah. I might tend to stay in bed for eight hours or nine hours mm -hmm. when really that's not what my body needs so now I have all those hour extra hours where I'm just associating my bed with wakefulness mm. maybe with some frustration that I'm not sleeping rather than actual sleep so mm -hmm. it's not kind of like an efficient use of my bed space yeah um, and I imagine that you would also kind of get set in this lens of like how many hours you would need mm -hmm. and so you know even after six you feel great you're like no I need eight I'm not rested I'm mm -hmm. not good but if mm -hmm. someone told you actually six hours is the perfect amount of sleep for you as a person you might get up after six and be like I do feel really good. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it is really important, and we can talk in a little while about how to start figuring that out for yourself, mm -hmm. how to start calculating those things mm -hmm. and seeing how you, what you actually need to, to feel good, feel rested. Mm -hmm. But I'd say that's a really big one that yeah. I don't want to kind of drive home today, that it's not true that there's a certain number of hours that, you, that everyone needs. Yeah, and to just really like accept the amount of sleep that you need mm -hmm. because I also I often find and I'm I'm guilty of this in that I think that people need a certain amount of sleep and if someone's sleeping like needs eight or nine hours, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like my first thought is like you're so lazy. Like mm -hmm. you just want to sleep in all the time. Mm -hmm. Instead of being like, No, that's like that's what you need at this yeah. point in your life yeah. in order to function and feel great. And yeah, like exactly. it's none of my business. Yeah. So even that that judgment on the yes. upper hours could could be difficult for some people. Yeah, a lot of judgment going around in sleep. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's true. It's this personal thing, but yet um, it definitely can affect mm -hmm. interactions with others. And Another sleep myth, I think I would say is, and this one is grounded in some reality, mm -hmm. but is that um, sleep deprivation is going to make it so that I can't function at all. Mm. Um, it's just, it's going to be awful. If I'm not sleeping, I'm going to fail my test tomorrow. I'm going to fail everything. Yeah. Um, that can be a problem for people. And it, and it is true that sleep deprivation has some detrimental effects. We mm -hmm. talked about how it is restorative for our bodies and yeah. for our minds. And um, so it certainly is important for us. It is necessary for us as, as humans. But it's not true that we can't function on low mm -hmm. sleep or on, on even even no sleep. So yeah. there's been research that has um, basically deprived people of sleep for a night or so. Oh, that's uh, Yeah. And then measured their cognitive functioning, so how they performed on tests of like reaction time and memory. Mm -hmm. And generally what that research has shown is that although people who haven't slept 
do say that the tasks feel more effortful, they feel more challenging, mm-hmm. they feel more difficult, they're actually performing similarly to people who slept the night before. Oh my goodness, expectations are amazing. Yeah, so it does mean that if you're having trouble sleeping, that test that you're writing the next day, it might actually be more effortful for mm-hmm. you, or it might feel that way. Yeah. It might feel tough, and it might just be a tough test, but yeah. it, might, <laughs> it might feel especially tough for you, and that's mm-hmm. really challenging. But it doesn't mean that you can't still do your best on it. It doesn't mean you can't still mm-hmm. do well. And that's important because for a lot of people struggling with sleep, one of the other sources of anxiety that keeps you up at night is that worry that, oh my gosh, if I don't fall asleep right now, if I don't get this full night's sleep, I'm not going to be able to do anything tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, it can come really cycle. It spirals, yeah. And so the next day, is it really like the anxiety that's getting in the way and not the sleep deprivation? Like I mean, like, there can be some, mm-hmm. like, like I was saying, it, it can f- feel more effortful because yeah. of the sleep deprivation. So it probably means that things might be more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the anxiety would be a factor that would yeah. get in the way as well if it's there too. Yeah, because it might be um, like, ooh, this is a little bit harder. Oh, yeah. it must mean that I'm, I'm not going to do yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And you're going into the test already thinking I'm not at my best. Yeah. Um, and that could be another added source. It's so stressful. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it is stressful. Yeah, but and the reason why it's important to talk about that is, like I was saying, it is another thing that keeps us up at night when we're mm-hmm. worried about sleep. So mm-hmm. being aware and being able to tell yourself or remind yourself that tomorrow might be tough, yeah. but I'm not going to die if I don't sleep tonight. I'm not going to fail at mm-hmm. school if I don't sleep tonight. And in fact, we know that sleep has a way of bouncing back quite quickly. So if yeah. you have one rough night's sleep, the next night when you're sleeping, it actually is more efficient and it kind of recovers uh, which is nice to remember, too, that even a few sleepless yeah. nights, your, your sleep has this ability to kind of yeah. be restorative. Your body's recover. trying to be your friend. Yes, It exactly. has your back. Exactly. Mine's telling me no. But my body, my body's telling me that's amazing. Yeah, That's so those amazing. are some of the major sleep myths. Is there any other ones that you've heard that you wanted to... Another myth I think people might have is that they have to have, like, a set bedtime. And they, like, no matter what, they stick to that bedtime because that's what's going to get them a good sleep. Yeah, that is an important myth to talk about. Um, I think it really fits with the myth we were just talking about earlier with mm-hmm. that, having that idea that you need a certain amount of hours of sleep. Because mm-hmm. often with that idea of a set bedtime, it's like, I, I need to get into bed by 11 because I need to wake up at 7 mm-hmm. because I need my 8 hours. Um, so it fits with that kind of idea. And so, again, it's not true that you need a certain number of hours of sleep that might set you up to be lying awake in bed mm-hmm. when you're actually not not tired yet. And more important than setting a specific bedtime, I would say, is tell, is remembering to not go into bed until you're sleepy. Mm-hmm. That's more important yeah. than having a set bedtime. Which seems so intuitive, mm-hmm. but I don't think anybody does that. Yes, <laughs> it is It is a tough one because you have that, those ideas that this is the sleep that I need. Mm-hmm. But when you're going to bed at a set bedtime and you're not paying attention to your body and mm-hmm. to when you're actually sleepy, you are sort of setting yourself up to have, be having some time in bed where you're awake and where your bed's being more and more associated with wakefulness. Mm-hmm. And so what you want is to actually listen to your body um, go to bed when you're sleepy so that that bed's associated with sleepiness mm-hmm. um, because for example if I know like I'm not someone who let's say wakes up um, before I have to in the morning and mm-hmm. you don't have fast till 10 so you're not going to wake up before 9 if you don't need 
10 hours of sleep, then mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't be going to bed at 11 p.m., right? <laughs> um, so it is about being aware of when you're waking yeah. up in the morning. All the things um, you say are making sense, but feel so wrong. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, which fits in with that idea of these myths and misconceptions we have that yeah, we just kind of hold add on to the to. problems. Yeah. Perfect, and this makes me think of something else in that people often have different sleep schedules during the week and different mm-hmm. sleep schedules on the mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Tell us about this. Yeah, it is a struggle um, because, you know, if you're struggling, struggling with sleep, if mm-hmm. sleep is, if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep in the night, sleeping, sticking to a consistent schedule is really important where mm-hmm. you are consistently waking up at that earliest time that you have to be up mm-hmm. um, so that you're making, you're maximizing the chances that when bedtime comes around or when that uh, evening time comes around mm-hmm. that you're actually going to be sleepy. Yeah. So if you're used to waking up at, you know, 8 a.m., let's say throughout the week and then typically around midnight you are getting sleepy and that's kind of working out for you mm-hmm. on the weekend if you sleep until 11 you're probably not going to be sleepy at the same time at night and then that can kind of by Sunday night that can feed into your week yeah um but you know that said it does kind of sleep does sort of bounce back so let's say on Sunday night you did stay up later but then you still had to wake up at 8 a.m or 7 a.m by the next night or two it it might kind of shift itself back but Mm -hmm. you are kind of doing this shift every week then to your body yeah and if you're struggling with sleep as it is I would actually recommend to be more consistent than that Mm -hmm. for some people it wouldn't be a problem to do those shifts your sleep kind of bounces more easily maybe your bed is nicely associated with sleep (laughs) for you so these kinds of Mm -hmm. subtle um, changes aren't going to have a big impact for everyone all the time Mm -hmm. Uh, but they might be problematic and so if you're having trouble I would recommend being more consistent with your wake-up times, even mm-hmm. on the weekends. And this is a good example where maybe over time, if your sleep is actually improved, mm-hmm. you can kind of be your own scientist and experiment a bit with, if I sleep in an extra hour on the weekend, does that really impact my week? And mm-hmm. test things out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now I lay me down not to sleep I just get tangled in the sheets I swim and sweat three inches deep Okay, so now we're kind of cleared up about sleep. We got the myths out of the way. We know a little bit of the science. Now we have all this information. What do we actually do with this information? What like small steps can we start taking to sleep better? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start probably by talking about a couple of um, sleep hygiene strategies. And some of these might be things that our listeners are pretty aware of already, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll reiterate them anyways. Because um, for some people, um, these can be enough to start sleeping better right mm-hmm. off the bat. Uh, For other people, they might have already been doing these. It might not be improving their sleep enough. And there's some other strategies that we can talk about Mm -hmm. um, afterwards. So it it really depends. When it comes to sleep hygiene, um, the first major, major area, I would say, is to really keep your bed for sleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, And this can be difficult, especially for students who are working in their bedroom, working on their bed, their desk is right by there, and your whole bedroom is not always associated with that sleepiness. Mm -hmm. Um, So for one thing, I would say, to at minimum not be working in your physical bed so if you have your desk in your room work at your desk yeah um try and minimize how much you're working in your room if Mm -hmm. that's at all possible to you um Mm -hmm. so really trying to keep that space um as much as possible associated with sleep and sleepiness or positive emotions not associated with things that are going to keep you Mm -hmm. kind of um, keep your mind up or keep you anxious at night that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um another thing that can help with that is getting a bit creative with how your room is set up if you do have your desk in your room so thinking about when you're lying in in bed and your eyes are open are you staring at your desk and all (laughs) the work that you're supposed to be doing or haven't finished yet exactly is it possible to shift around the setup of your room so Mm -hmm. that your desk isn't right immediately 
immediately facing your bed. Um, so trying to limit um, work in that space as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And in, li in line with that would be minimizing electronics by the bed, mm -hmm. electronics in the bed, electronics right before bedtime. So really trying yeah. to especially have that space be associated with sleep yeah. and sleepiness as much as possible. Yeah, you don't need to be on your phone trolling the deepest, darkest depths of the interwebs. That's not going to lead to any good places. And the other thing with phones too is not only is it that kind of bright light right before mm -hmm. bed that, that can be... Um, can negatively impact your sleep or your ability to fall asleep. Um, but with the phone right by your bed, you're often inclined to check the clock a lot, and that's mm. something that can not be helpful in terms yeah. of actually falling asleep. It's inclined to checking the time is is going to trigger that anxiety, trigger that mental math of how many hours mm -hmm. you think you need. Um, which isn't actually conducive to falling asleep, even mm -hmm. though it feels like what you have to be doing. Yeah. So really trying to separate out that stuff from your bed, from your bedroom as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, some would even say to not keep your cell phone or electronics in your bedroom. I I've know that's really too. challenging yeah. for people. Um, but if you're struggling to sleep, it could be something to try. Is yeah. Really think about your space and is it conducive to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I would say, I, I think we briefly touched on this earlier, um, but if you're struggling to fall asleep or struggling to sleep, um, a big thing to think about is your caffeine intake, nicotine, mm -hmm. in the about four to six hours before bedtime. They mm -hmm. are stimulants, so wanting to cut those out mm -hmm. um, in that time. Kind of thinking about how can I make my body and my space conducive to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and the last one that I would just mention is sleep rituals. So mm -hmm. if you're someone, I'll show you the opposite of a sleep ritual. Yeah. This would be, let's say, work, 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 work. It's 11 p.m., close the book, hop into bed. Oh, yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. not so conducive to sleep. You're no. not giving your body and your mind a chance to even know, oh, sleep is, is kind of yeah. approaching. Mm -hmm. um, so trying to actually set up a bit of a ritual for yourself of what you do when you're winding down for bed. Mm -hmm. And that could be different for everyone in terms of what that might entail. It might mean the way that you kind of um, are just sort of putting things away or um, getting changed into your pajamas, washing your face mm -hmm. and brushing your teeth, maybe doing some reading. Um, it could involve a shower or bath time, mm -hmm. and that can be especially helpful, actually, because what happens when we shower or bathe is our body's temperature increases and then drops when we um, get out of the shower mm -hmm. or the bath, and that increase and then drop in temperature of our body is actually mimics what happens naturally in our bodies as we're about to fall asleep. Cool. So it can kind of trick your body into yeah. uh, being in that place where it's getting more ready to yeah. sleep. So that might be part of your sleep ritual. Yeah. But thinking about it, you know, not just sort of shutting down from exactly what you've done and hopping right into bed, but trying to have some time to mm -hmm. let your body kind like of read transition. those cues. Yeah, and transition yeah. into a state where it's more yeah. ready for sleep. Because that's a lot to expect of your body to just be able to yeah. hop into bed and completely switch modes. Mm -hmm. As you're describing this, all I can think about is like a small toddler who's like two mm -hmm. and you're like, they're playing and they're having this great time or whatever and they're like, you must go to bed right now. Like you're headed for a tantrum. Mm -hmm. If you're like, give it some preparation, it, give the child some preparation, we're going to do all these things and then we're going to mm -hmm. go to bed. Like yeah. you're going to avoid that tantrum. Like exactly. don't make your body have like a terrible two tantrum. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great example where it is really key when you're, when, mm -hmm. when young children are learning to sleep really, mm -hmm. to have that kind of routine. You know, parents are usually pretty big on that of like getting into the pages yes. and the bottle and yeah. the book. And, and then we just forget that's how we learned. We need to go back to that. Yeah, exactly. Going back to those basics mm -hmm. um, can be really important because for some people who might be 
listening, maybe they don't need those things. Yeah. Maybe their their bed is so tied with sleep <laughs> that they, it really does just bring it on for them, mm-hmm. and that's fantastic. That's amazing. Good job. Uh, good job. Exactly. It's great. Um, but in cases where that's been interrupted for various reasons, mm-hmm. going back to those basics can be really important. Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble trying to sleep. Okay, so you mentioned that, you know, some people might be already doing these steps, they have their rituals, they're not drinking caffeine, um, but they're still really having struggles with their sleep. Is there anything, what's the next step? What else can they do? Yeah, so um, that is sometimes the case, like Mm -hmm. we talked about with insomnia, it can sometimes persist, Mm -hmm. and often when it's persisted, people have been trying these things, Yeah, um, because they are aware that it's been becoming a problem or a frustration for them. And they must be Um, so discouraged by this point, because it's like, what you already said probably is what you find on Google. Mm-hmm. They probably have plenty of friends telling them, oh, just yeah. do these things and you'll yeah. sleep better. Yeah. And Are you drinking caffeine? It's like, shut up. Yes, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. So again, could be helpful for some, could be enough for some. Um, but if you are still struggling, I'd really recommend a book called Sink Into Sleep by Dr. Judith Davidson. Mm-hmm. It's about $20 um, on Amazon That's or chapters. Um, and it really outlines a step-by-step process to a, a therapy program that Dr. Davidson developed, and that's been well-researched now over mm-hmm. the years. It's called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, sometimes called Sleep Therapy. Um, and the book is really accessible. It's written for you know anyone to just mm-hmm. sort of pick up and learn more about sleep and learn more about some strategies. And um, there have been some meta-analyses now, so that's a study of a bunch of studies mm-hmm. that have been done. Um, and they've shown that with this kind of protocol that um, people do have significant improvements in sleep. They're fairly rapid and even in a few weeks you see some improvement. Um, Most protocols that are like a a group-based therapy for this are six to eight weeks. Yeah. Not talking about long-term therapy even. Um, So you can see some improvements and they do tend to to be lasting improvements. So the sleep improvements have been maintained in studies and sometimes even enhanced over time and they've been followed up for as much as eight months even after the protocol. That's great. Um, Yeah, so it's really exciting, and um, even in these kinds of research studies, a lot of the time we're talking about chronic cases Mm -hmm. where the sleep or the insomnia has been many years or several wow. years. So there's there's not hopeless cases. You can start taking yeah. some steps. Yeah, I'm sure many of those people could never imagine having eight months of good sleep. Yeah, yeah yes, exactly. That's amazing. Um, but getting started somewhere can be really helpful, mm-hmm. and, and this book I would suggest as a, a good way to start. Mm-hmm. So one of the first steps that that is involved in in CBTI, as I'll refer to it, is characterizing your current sleep. I was uh, alluding to this earlier as something really important to be aware of. Um, You can actually get forms for how to do this online. So sinkintosleep.com slash forms. Mm -hmm. So And the book has the forms too, but this online place calculates things for you. It's very nice. Nice. I've used this online forms in working with clients so that I don't have to do the calculations (laughs) and neither do they. But basically, you would first start by characterizing, taking... Um, a recent or a kind of representative night's sleep from the past week or so. Mm-hmm. So if last night was your kind of typical, you could use that. And really what you're doing first is looking at these kinds of things. So what time did I get into bed? When did I close the lights? Around how long did it take me until I fell asleep? Did I wake up in the night? Around how long was I up in the night mm-hmm. in total? When did I wake up in the morning? When did I get out of bed in the morning? So mm-hmm. those sorts of things. And what you calculate from that is something that's called your sleep efficiency. So that means of the total time that I was in my bed, mm-hmm. how much of that time was I asleep? Okay. 
Okay, so this is getting away from calculating your how many your number of hours of sleep per se. Yeah. But it's relative to how much time you were in bed. Yeah. And that kind of brings us back to that example I said earlier where if I'm currently sleeping six hours but in my bed nine hours. Mm -hmm. So let's say I think I should be going to bed at eleven PM and waking up at eight AM, but really I'm not I don't actually need to be sleeping for that amount of time mm -hmm. or I'm not currently sleeping for that amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, that means that I'm kind of set up where there's several hours where I'm just awake in bed. Yeah. And what that's doing is it's associating your bed with wakefulness and maybe with anxiety or frustration or some negative emotions. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is associate your bed with, with sorry, not with wakefulness, <laughs> is associate your bed with sleep and sleepiness mm -hmm. and, and positive emotions as much as we can. So you calculate your, how much time you're currently sleeping and, yeah. and your sleep efficiency. And then what you actually do is first set a wake-up time to maintain. Mm. Um, so, so waking up is the most important. Yeah, exactly. So at this point, your wake-up time is actually most important, which is interesting. Usually you think of setting your bedtime first. Mm -hmm. um, but what's actually important is setting your rise time. So that would be a time that is that you could actually maintain all week. So mm -hmm. if you have one 8.30 class and you have to wake up at, I don't know, 7.30 for that class, then mm -hmm. that would actually be your set rise time for the week mm -hmm. if you were using this kind of protocol. And then you'd calculate backwards from there based on how much you're currently sleeping um, with a minimum of, of five hours. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were sleeping less, you would calculate back five hours. If you were mm -hmm. sleeping six hours, you'd calculate back those six hours. And that yeah. becomes your what's called your threshold bedtime. So let's say for me, if I was um, waking up um, at 8 a.m. and only sleeping six hours right now, that would mean actually staying awake until 2 a.m. right now. Wow. Um, for the start of this program. Yeah. Because I'm anyways sleeping six hours anyway. That's true. So instead of lying awake in bed for three hours mm -hmm. throughout the night, you actually don't even try to be in bed for those three hours. Wow. Um, you would actually hold off and go to bed later. Yeah. And you're sleeping the same amount, but now you're kind of triggering your body's um, sleep drive to get kicked back into gear, mm -hmm. and you're not spending that time in bed mm -hmm. while you're awake. That seems very radical. It does seem radical, and initially with with this kind of therapy program, sometimes for people, depending on, on what their sleep is currently at, sometimes it does involve sleep deprivation in the first week or two. So yeah. with clients, you often see them coming in in the first week or two just <laughs> looking like a bit of a wreck. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, but then from there, you start having a bit more control over your sleep. So the the benefit of working with sleep is that it is a biological drive. Yeah. If you deprive yourself of it, your body does need it at some point. It's going to try to bounce back eventually. It's going to, exactly. And so in that case... Um, if I was to, let's say, stay up until 2 a.m., like mm -hmm. in that example, um, my body would likely be tired at 2 a.m. It is used to getting some yeah. sleep, and then I'm going to be more likely to fall asleep fairly quickly instead of tossing and turning for, mm -hmm. the, for the few hours that I might be used to, let's say. And if 2 a.m. comes around and I'm feeling wide awake, I still don't you go to stay bed. up. Yeah, you stay Ooh, up. That's so tough. It is tough. It does take planning in terms of what you're going to do with I was, this time. I was going to ask because I'm just like, I think I would probably get anxious about what I should be doing. And I'd be like, am I sleepy yet? Am I sleepy yet? Mm -hmm. And so people should kind of like plan for something exactly. to do. Exactly. Plan for something to do. Um, you know, in, in the book it talks about, you know, has there been any projects that you've been <laughs> wanting to find that time for? With, yeah. What are you going to do with this new time? Yeah. So it could be a craft project. It could be um, it could be something that you have to do around the house, mm -hmm. sort of saving your dishes or some cleanup yeah. tasks for the evening. Yeah. Or maybe um, something that you've always wanted to try but you haven't. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. I remember somebody telling me somebody really wanted to bake, but they never had time to bake. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, between the, hour, the late hours, you know, yeah. bake cinnamon buns, bake cookies. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, and you can kind of get into a rhythm with that, your bed and or your bedroom is suddenly becoming more and more associated with that sleep and, yeah. and less with that wakefulness. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, you can start shifting that bedtime up a little bit mm-hmm. um, over time. And so um, there's guidelines in, in the book in terms of depending on where your sleep efficiency is at, mm-hmm. how much you can shift your bedtime back. So for example, if you started this and now after a week or two weeks, your sleep efficiency is really high. So you're really, you're going to bed at 2 a.m. You're actually falling right asleep and sleeping until 7.30, which for some people, that's amazing. That is amazing. (laughs) They've been spending weeks or months just Mm -hmm. lying awake in bed at at various points in the night. So if you are at that point where your sleep efficiency is quite high, meaning Mm -hmm. you're you're asleep most of the time that you're in bed. There's guidelines for now shifting your bedtime earlier by, let's say, half an hour. Or depending on how how kind of efficient your sleep is, it might just be 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. But if you're really um, falling asleep right away, sleeping mm-hmm. through the night, you might be able to make a half-hour jump yeah. and then kind of work from there for a bit and shift. The idea with that is that once you can kind of get back that association between your bed and sleep, mm-hmm. you can have some more power over sh- making some changes and some shifts. And for that, I would think about it kind of like, um, let's say I just had a big dinner, I'm completely full, I'm not hungry at all. If I go to the movies, I'm probably still going to want some popcorn. (laughs) Um, I associate popcorn with the movies, Mm -hmm. you can smell it. So even though my hunger drive shouldn't really be there, Mm -hmm. I'm full. Once I'm at the movies, I'm still going to want that that snack. Yeah. And you kind of want that to be what you're creating for sleep, where mm. that association between your bed and sleep is, is becoming stronger. So yeah. now if you shift it back half an hour or 15 minutes you're still going to be able to fall asleep because yeah. you're having that stronger association. And by doing that, you can even improve your sleep time or or shift your times a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or for some people, that new schedule might really just fit with what their body needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can kind of be your own scientist and testing some of that out. So um, as you're shifting your sleep time back, you might find if you do that too much, suddenly you're having trouble falling asleep again. And that mm-hmm. might just mean that you don't need as much sleep as, as you kind of think. Yeah. Or maybe you want to actually wake up at 7 a.m. And, and go to sleep a little earlier, and you could kind of work towards that by making some subtle changes, mm-hmm. improvements. Another big important factor with this kind of um, with these kinds of ideas with this therapy program is that when you do go into bed, if at any point in the night you're lying awake in bed for 15 minutes or so mm-hmm. or more, you actually get out of bed. Yeah, and this is the hardest thing to do. It's very hard. It's so difficult. Yeah. Sometimes I'll lay in bed for two hours, being like, maybe if I just go in this position, maybe yeah. if I go in, then I'm like, I can't get out of bed. It's, it's very, too hard. It's too very comfy. hard. You're comfortable, and sometimes you have this thought. I know when when I've struggled with uh, with sleep in the past, I had this thought that well. If I'm lying in bed, I'm more likely to fall asleep than if I'm up doing something else. So exactly. why should I get out of bed? Exactly. Um, but the reality is that when you're lying in bed awake, you're you're probably, if anything, getting worked up, mm-hmm. and you're you're not necessarily in that mindset for sleep. And what you're doing is associating your bed with that wakefulness, with that anxiety, yeah, um, with that negativity, and not with sleepiness. Mm-hmm. And for your future night's sleep, you want that bed to be associated as much as you can with sleep and sleepiness. Mm-hmm. So if you're not feeling sleepy, you're not falling asleep, you can get up. Um, ha- again, having some tasks, so maybe it's I'm going to go and like organize my sock drawer, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but getting up and doing something yeah. you know, in another space. Um, so it could be reading, it could be doing something around mm-hmm. the house, 
getting back into bed once you're feeling sleepy. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what has come up again and again as we were talking is having a really busy mind, feeling really anxious, not being able to kind of turn off some of those thoughts of something you did 10 years ago while laying in bed. Mm -hmm. Um, How can we actually like bring down and calm down our mind? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be an important factor. And for some people, um, even using some of these strategies we've been talking about, might help or might not help fully because a big factor getting in the way could be that busy mind. Mm -hmm. Or even when they're completely exhausted, where they've activated that sleep drive, that's still getting in the way. So overall, we do find that by activating that sleep drive, by depriving yourself of sleep, at some point, Mm -hmm. your body will fall asleep. (laughs) Um, But still, those kinds of busy thoughts can get in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I talked a little bit briefly about relaxation strategies, which can be really helpful. So again, that anxiety is bringing your physiological arousal up, Mm -hmm. um, which is not conducive to sleep. So Using strategies like meditation or mindfulness Mm. exercises, so being very aware of your body or your breathing exercises, those sorts of strategies which um, you can learn more about or or look online about can be helpful to kind of Mm -hmm. calm yourself a little bit, to bring yourself in a space that's more conducive to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, But if those busy busy kind of thoughts are still getting in the way, one strategy I would suggest is, is... Basically, something called uh, jot it down or Mm. uh, worry time, actually, which sounds a bit funny. Yeah. (laughs) But basically, you would set a time um, earlier in the day, so not too close to bedtime. That would be your designated worry time, Mm -hmm. um, where you basically write down a list, or you can do it on cue cards if that's available to you, of the different things that you know are are worrying you right now, Mm -hmm. that you know are the things that are going to pop into your head later because they've been popping into your head. So you would actually list them. And then for each one, create a bit of an action plan for it. So that might be like, you know, you're having some conflict with a friend and it might mean tomorrow I'm going to send them a text message, ask them if we can meet up and talk about this. And sometimes that plan might be, there's nothing I can do about this right now. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that's a few months away. So I'm going to put this in my calendar to think about in Mm. a few weeks. So you're basically giving your brain an answer. It's like, hey, we have these things to Mm -hmm. deal with. Why don't you want to think about them? You're Mm -hmm. like, okay, this, this, and this, and we're good. Yeah, exactly. So you're creating some sort of an answer to each of them, Mm -hmm. right? And what's useful about that is that now when those things pop into your mind as you're trying to sleep, Mm -hmm. you can say to yourself, I've already dealt with this today. Um, I've got a plan for it for now. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more I need to do about this right now. Yeah, and also you could probably use, so we talk a lot about regulation strategies and emotion regulation Mm -hmm. strategies. If those thoughts are producing a lot of emotion, you can do things like reappraisal where you're thinking of a new perspective on the situation. Mm -hmm. Like if if you can't change it, can I think about it differently until the time, until the time I have to actually deal with it? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if it is a case of like reappraisal where maybe you found that a different way to think about it is really calming to you, Mm -hmm. maybe even having that, writing that on a note Mm -hmm. beside your bed so that if it is starting to bother you in the night, you can just look at those words if those are soothing to you to remember Mm -hmm. that, that kind Mm -hmm. of flip side or other way of looking at it. That's a great idea. So the main, I'll just review the main steps for um, CBT for insomnia. So going to bed only when you're sleepy, not before that threshold bedtime. Um, setting a, a regular rise time that you wake up at for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, using your bed only for sleeping, which we talked about. Leaving the bed if you can't fall asleep for about 15 minutes at a time. Um, and for all of these, you're not noticing the clock. You're kind of keeping a sleep diary, keeping track of your sleep the mm-hmm. next day. But it's not meant to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on estimates, so mm-hmm. not worrying about, oh, gosh, I need to have these set calculations. Yeah. You're just going to do your best your best guesses the, last, the next day. 
Oh, so one thing we know about people is that they're really mean to themselves. Mm. And so I imagine it's not quite smooth sailing all the time doing these types of programs. So what happens, you know, if you, you mess it up and you try to go to bed at 11? Like, how does that work? Do mm-hmm. people Can people get back on track? Yeah, that's a great question. You definitely can get back on track, and it's definitely not uncommon to have some hiccups in the in the mm-hmm. road. Um, it is a it is a lot to kind of start making this sort of change, um, especially in the initial weeks where it involves doing quite a big change to your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would suggest kind of thinking through and and reminding yourself of why you're doing this mm-hmm. and and kind of reminding yourself of that as much as you can. But yeah, being kind to yourself and knowing that mm-hmm. when these kinds of programs have been developed and the studies that have been done on them, the people that were in those studies were not perfect either. Yeah, <laughs> uh, There's some space mm-hmm. for, for that kind of variation and not always sticking to them perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, you know, a nice thing that sometimes happens with that is that then people can use that as a chance to learn and see, okay, well, how was that night's sleep? So mm. maybe I did go into bed earlier than I kind of was planning to. Yeah. And how did my sleep go? You might mm-hmm. be able to calculate out that really you were lying awake in bed. And that might actually add to you being able to see, okay, this is why. Yeah, you're becoming I'm your own this. sleep expert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So remember that, yeah, exactly. You're your own, you know, scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that does happen, use that as information. Say, okay, well, I did things a little differently yesterday. I mm-hmm. had that big cup of coffee at 8 p.m. Yeah. You know, how did that affect things for me? How did mm-hmm. I do? All right, this information has been so wonderful. Um, can you give us a takeaway? What's the most important thing you want people to know about sleep? Um, so I think, I mean, one of the, the themes of today has mm-hmm. been that sleep is important. It's important <laughs> for our mental health. It's important for our physical health. Um, it can have impacts, or when we're not sleeping, it can have impacts on our mental health, but that also by working on our sleep, we can have improvements in, mm-hmm. our, in our quality of life and our mm-hmm. mental health, which is really exciting. Um, but another thing to think about with sleep and remember is that you know, a sleepless night is not going to completely ruin your ability to function. You can generally function well. So trying to remind yourself of that um, if you're becoming anxious about sleep mm-hmm. and kind of as best as you can, not chasing after sleep, but ah, trying to think. hard to get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But trying to trying to think about how can I set up conditions in my body, in my mind, in mm-hmm. my room, in my space that are conducive to sleep yeah. as much as possible and kind of trusting that it's a drive that your body has. It will come eventually. Yeah. Let sleep come to you. Yeah. You're a beautiful, wonderful person and sleep wants to be with you. It does. But you just need to like be yourself and exactly. just wait for it. Exactly. So setting up those conditions that are conducive to sleep and kind of relaxing and letting it come. And if it's not coming, if you're lying awake in bed, getting out of bed, doing mm-hmm. something else, going back when you're sleepy, remembering that there's no set number of hours you need, but being your own scientist, figuring out what works for you and and going from there, I would say. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. I can honestly say that everybody who listens to this is going to be so much better for knowing all these things. And hopefully, if they're struggling with their sleep, this is a good first step. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Well, hopefully you guys learned a lot from Jackie, and hopefully you can walk away now with a ton of information about how your sleep is affecting your mental health and how your mental health is affecting your sleep. And what you can do if you find that you are struggling with your sleep. So obviously we have a challenge for you. Because we care about you. So deeply.
And you can probably guess that the <laughs> challenge is to check in with yourself and see what your sleep is like. Jackie described three different kinds of sleep problems that people with insomnia tend to have. So see if you're taking a long time to fall asleep, if you're waking up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep, or if you're waking up at some ungodly hour and you can't go back to sleep. If that's the case, maybe trying out some of these strategies. Mm-hmm. And just remember that when you're trying to, to decide if, you know, how quickly you fall asleep or how early you wake up, if you're trying to decide how normal that is, remember that the only normal you have to worry about is your own normal. Don't try and compare yourself to other people because everybody's sleeping is very different. We are all unique, beautiful little snowflakes. So if you're trying to figure out how normal your sleeping is, the only thing you should be comparing yourself to is your own baseline. So basically how you typically fall asleep and stay asleep. Well, good luck with that. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in this week. And we know the struggle to talk about mental health and be mentally healthy is real. But hopefully after this week, it's a little bit easier. There's only one thing I'm sure of right now.